this series is over, I think I'm going to wake up to that video every morning. It just kind of gets me going. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> How are you this morning? It is great to be with you. Great to be with you in the house today. You know, when I say the name Billy Graham, it's, it's a household name. It's a name that everybody has heard or knows of. I'm just curious, how many of you have ever been to a Billy Graham crusade or event? Let me see the show of hands. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, even in Austin, Texas, people know about Billy Graham. I remember going to a crusade when I was a little kid in Houston. Billy Graham came to Rice Stadium, packed it out. And as somebody who grew up in Houston, I really think that's the only time Rice Stadium has ever been full was for a bit. You know what? In the first service, a couple of people hissed me when I said that. I mean, if you're a Rice football fan, that can't be like a revelation to you. I know, people, I know deep-seated Rice football fans who take books to the games. You know what I'm saying? I mean, to, to, for the entertainment value. But I also know a lot of people who wish they could get into Rice. So we're all on the same team. We're all on the same page here. But anyway, Billy Graham. Billy Graham is a name that everybody knows. I mean, over the course of his ministry, Billy Graham has shared the gospel, the good news of Jesus, in person with more than 200 million people. I want to let that just kind of sink in for a second. Say 200 million. 200 million people. That's across 185 countries in the world. He's been a prayer partner with presidents and popes alike. And Billy Graham has done probably more for the kingdom and the cause of God than any person who has ever walked on the face of the earth before or since. It's really and truly remarkable. His impact will never be completely measurable in human terms. We won't be able to do that this side of heaven. But... Can I just share with you the secret sauce of Billy Graham's life in a human sense? Obviously, his personal relationship with Christ. If you look at the fact that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association has never been touched by a whiff of scandal of any kind in any arena, it's really pretty remarkable. But the real anchor for Billy Graham's ministries personally and as a human being was his wife, Ruth. Was his wife, Ruth Belgram. Ruth had grown up the child of missionaries to China. She and Billy fell in love by both accounts almost at first sight in college and then spent the rest of their lives together until she passed away in 2007. And as such, she carried a unique responsibility, a unique mantle of ministry in this world as Together they reared five children, largely in Billy's absence by his own words. He says one of the things that he would do differently was he would have spent more time at home. Now, can we just for a second talk about Billy's 200 million people plus and Ruth's five. Five kids by herself. Say five kids by herself. That ought to wear you out just saying those words. And yet Ruth Bell Graham did that with grace and love and a 
really, really sneaky sense of humor. As a matter of fact, later in her life, she was asked as she looked back over her story with Billy and all that had been done, all that they had seen together and been through. A reporter asked her, Mrs. Graham, have you ever considered divorce? And Ruth Graham thought, and that's a kind of a personal question. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this, we all know that statistically, divorce is about a 50-50 coin flip for everybody entering into a new marriage. And to be sure, later in their lives, culturally, divorce was a bigger deal than it was when they first got married. But this reporter asked Ruth Graham, have you ever considered divorce? And she paused for a moment and she thought, and she replied, divorce, no. Murder, yes. <laughs> I love the candor. I love the humor attached to that because what Ruth Graham was describing is something that we all understand that relationships over the long haul take some really hard work. They can be a phenomenal blessing. But let's be honest, it's going to take some work if you're going to stay even just friends with somebody over the long haul, much less married for more than 60 years as she and Billy were. Truly, till death did they part, ultimately to be reunited. But it's an amazing story. And I can only imagine the challenges that Billy and Ruth Graham faced. I mean, how many of you have been married for 10 years? Let me just see a show of hands. If you've been married for 10 years, how many of you have been married longer than Julie and me for 22 years? If you've been married longer than 22, that's awesome. Anybody longer than 40 years been married? Anybody about 50? We got 50 in the house? Let's give it up for 50 years of marriage. Man, if you would come preach the rest of my sermon, I would greatly appreciate it. <clears throat> but if you're going to do that, it's going to take something really, really special. It's going to take, and again, not just for marriage, but for friendships, for families to survive and to thrive over the long haul. It takes a very, very special something that the Bible talks about over and over and over again. And even specifically in the book of Galatians, when the Bible is describing the challenge that every single Christ follower encounters, this, this struggle, this fight that goes on internally between the old self prior to coming into a relationship with Christ and the new self. The Bible says that when you step into a relationship with Christ, you become a new person. And, and so the old, Paul said, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the old is put away and the new has come because God makes all things new. But we all know that in this lifetime, that struggle is always going on. As a matter of fact, Paul was the one who said, you know what, I know what I want to do and I don't do it. The thing that I know I shouldn't do and don't want to do, that's the very thing that I do. Could we all just say a brief prayer of thanksgiving for Paul? For just being honest and putting it out there and acknowledging this struggle. The, the Bible puts it in two very distinct camps. There's there's the flesh that we're all born with. That, that's that inherent desire to determine our own destiny, to chart our own course, to tell God, I got it. But then when you come into a relationship with Christ, the Bible says that we become born in the spirit of God, that the spirit of God then resides within us. And 
As long as we live in this world, there's going to always be this tension and we will get to decide who wins that battle in each moment, in each day. God is there for the taking. I just have to avail myself of the spirit, of the power of God. And that's what Paul was talking about in Galatians chapter number five. When, when Paul is describing the fruit of the spirit, he, he's talking about what will spill out of our lives, what fruit will be produced. How many of you go to the grocery store? Can I see a show of hands? If you, and men, don't lie, okay? I'm saying if you really truly shop at the grocery store, you go through the first door you come into is, of course, the produce section. The produce section is, is fruit and vegetables and all that stuff that you're supposed to eat that doesn't taste good. So you go into it, but it's the stuff that really and truly fuels your body. It's the stuff that is healthy because it is produce. And that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is talking about. When you step into a relationship with Christ, your life will produce these things. This fruit of the Spirit will be produced. Your, it will be the product of your faith. A lot of times people think that the faith, that the Christian faith is believing. That that's it. I believe in God. I'm going to heaven. Or they think, you know, I'm a good guy. You know, I'm going to be a, a good guy or at least better than that guy. When in reality, the Christian faith is following Christ. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. To be a believer in Christ is to follow him, to give your life to him completely and live in this tension in this world, ultimately to be united with God forever in perfect relationship. And so the fruit of the Spirit is what is produced as a result of this faith. <clears throat> in Galatians chapter 5, this is how the Bible talks about this. And I want you to read the highlighted word with me because we're getting into this idea today of faithfulness, of staying in relationship over the long haul. Every single example of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, is ultimately relational in nature. It's, I'm going to get to that, but read the highlighted words with me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Man, can you believe we've already covered every single one of those in the last few weeks? I know you've all been here for the last six weeks, every single week, but we've covered every single one of those. Come on, that was funny. <laughs> like, if I laugh, he'll know I wasn't here. We know. So, and that, that's cool. That's why God invented the internet. You can go look at the sermon online. <clears throat> the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So that's what... It, Paul's talking about you've got the fruit of the Spirit on one hand because the Spirit of God resides in you after you commit your life to Christ and you decide to crucify the flesh on a daily basis. Now, if you're new around here, if this is your first week, let me make sure that we all understand the term to crucify the flesh. To crucify the flesh means that you identify with Christ. 
That's what it means to crucify the flesh. That you've identified with Christ personally, definitively, once and for all. You've said, I confess my sins. I step into this relationship with Christ. I give you my life in response to your life. So you identify with Christ personally, definitively. But then there is that daily identifying with Christ. That that moment by moment where you are in the battle between the flesh and the spirit and you say... I am going to identify with Christ in this moment, in the way that I talk to my spouse, in the way that I turn in my expense account at work, in the way that I submit my taxes to the U.S. government. I am going to identify with Christ. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, if you will be my disciple, then you will take up your cross daily and follow me. That That's what this whole thing is all about. And if you do that, then the fruit of the Spirit will spill out of your lives. You will bear these things. You will produce these things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Faithfulness. Now, when we talk about faithfulness, I think it's important to understand what this means. So if I can, go ahead and take out your program that you got when you came in. And on the notes page, just kind of at the very top, write down a working definition of faithfulness. Because this is one of those things that, you know, even just saying the word, say faithfulness. Okay, now I want you to say it smiling with passion and enthusiasm. You ready? On three. Not after three, but on three. One, two. See? Faithfulness. That just sounds like a good church word, doesn't it? Faithfulness. Yes, we studied faithfulness at church. We even sang the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. We sang a hymn, We're So Spiritual. But what are we talking about when we talk about faithfulness? Faithfulness is real simple. It is your, it is my trust quotient. It's my trust quotient. That is, how trustworthy am I? That's my faithfulness. Now, God's faithfulness is 100%. God has never, ever disappointed. God has never, ever been unfaithful. He cannot be unfaithful. It is counter to his character, to his makeup and personality. It, it can't happen. God being unfaithful would be like Mac dunking. It's not going to happen. But God's faithfulness is constant. That, that hymn that we sang, which by the way, Great is Thy Faithfulness, if you, if you didn't know that, that is the theme song. That is the Lake Hills Church mantra. Great is Thy Faithfulness, God. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thou hast provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Did you know that that's biblical? It comes from the Old Testament book of Lamentations. Not one of the more well-trafficked books of the Bible, but it's in there. Because God's faithfulness is perfect. God says, I will never leave you 
nor forsake you. You need to write this down. Faithfulness is always about relationship. Faithfulness is about relationship. It's not emotion, feelings, or mental belief in, in our intellect. Faithfulness is always about relationship, about being faithful to someone. And so it's important, I think, for us to, to kind of be aware of four primary fields of faithfulness in our lives. First of all, I think obviously would be being faithful to God. Once you have stepped into that relationship with God, you, you want to be faithful to that. And a lot of people go, well, how do I be faithful? Well, just start with obedience. Just, just obey. Just do what God says. Who's like, well, I, man, I, I, don't, I don't hear God. I don't, I don't know what God wants me to do. Like, well, did you, or did you cheat on your taxes that we just turned in a month ago? Or do you still cuss like a sailor at work or home? I mean, are, do you treat your children like indentured servants in your household? Now, now that last one is a gray area, I'll admit, but the others, <laughs> you want to be faithful to God? Be obedient. Do what God says. Do what God says. Be faithful. The second arena for faithfulness is our families. To be faithful to our families. Now, this can get a little bit dicey. I know for a fact, we have in our household, my wife and I have two kids. We have an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old. One getting ready to go to college. One just got his driver's license. And I'm sure at some point in their young lives, it has crossed their minds. I wonder what it would look like if I just moved out. How many of you ever thought about that when you were growing up? Did you ever think, I'm, just gonna, I'm moving out. How many of you ever ran away? I don't mean to get too personal. I mean, I, I ran away for 15 minutes one time. <laughs> well, here's what, here's what I've noticed about at least our kids. Our kids have, have stayed faithful to the family because they like to eat. They, they don't want to have to go get a job and feed themselves, buy their own clothes and pay for their own, you know, whatever. But what Julie and I are aiming for is that they will stay faithful within our family once they have the choice. Also, what we're aiming for is that they one day do have the choice. Some of y'all got that. But family faithfulness is a big deal. It's a big spiritual deal. That's why Paul wrote to his young protege, Timothy, as he was leading him and instructing him about how to pastor in this new parish where Timothy was. He said, tell the men of the house that any man who doesn't provide for his immediate family is worse than an unbeliever. That's strong medicine. That, that part of being faithful in the home for the men is to provide. Now, be careful what you're providing. You know, it's not just the finances. 
A lot of men have relied on, oh, I provide a good house. You drive the latest car. <laughs> well, that's fine as far as that goes. But remember that the word husband comes from the old Anglo-Saxon, which means house band. The, the husband is the, to be the anchor of that home, to provide the spiritual leadership service of each home. Now, remember also that it was at creation when God looked and saw man alone and said, this is not good. This guy's going to need some help. And he created woman. Yay, God. That's a good thing. Don't you just know Adam? I mean, God looked at Adam in the garden and said, the garden will be a wreck in a week. I've got to get this boy some help. His life will be a wreck in less than a week. But family is a great opportunity to develop faithfulness. Third would be church and friends. I'd put those kind of in the, in the same camp because really what is the church but a group of friends who are committed, faithful to a vision for that church. God raises up different churches for different purposes and that's healthy. That's good. We celebrate. There's some great churches in our area. Great churches in our city, around the world. We're honored to be on the same team with those. And we're going to be faithful as a church. We're going to be faithful as friends. I wonder this morning, how many of you have too many faithful friends in your life? Let me, if, you, if the faithfulness in your life is just getting a little crowded, do you need somebody to leave the faithful bus in your life? If you could just kind of make a little room so we could spread out a little. Friends who are genuinely faithful over the long haul are an endangered species. But then there is the fourth field of faithfulness, which is work. Work is an opportunity to be faithful. Now that doesn't mean you have to work for the same company for 45 years, get the gold watch, and then go play golf in Florida. But it does mean that as long as you work for that organization, that group, you will be faithful to them. As long as they sign your check, you will give them a good day's work. You will honor the person in authority over you, whether they're honorable or not. But you will be faithful. And when it comes to the point where it's time to leave, you leave faithfully, honestly, with honor. Work is a gift from God. Tell your neighbor, work's a gift. It's a gift from God. And like every gift from God, it needs to be stewarded and managed as though it were a gift. Now, you know, speaking of work, every single week that I'm getting ready to preach, preparing, studying, praying, writing, thinking, asking Julie what to say. I, I, what I have to do every week is figure out how to structure the sermon. How, how do you craft and, and build 
you, know, you, you basically do a skeleton and then you hang some meat on the bones and then you come talk and you hope it makes sense. There's a little more to it than that, but that's it in a nutshell. And this week I, I thought, man, this, this thing on faithfulness, it's so important. And I thought, God, family, church and friends, work, that, that, that'll preach, God. Let's go. And ever so distinctly, I, I just felt the leading of God. I didn't hear an audible voice or see it spelled out in the stars, but I just kind of felt God kind of tap me on the shoulder and go, how? How, how do you feed the fire of faithfulness in your life? How do you live this out? It's great to say, be faithful, but how do you actually do that? What does that look like, practically speaking? So I had to dive back into sermon prep. I had to kind of get back at it a little bit more. And so I want to just, in the time that we have left, talk about how you feed the fire of faithfulness in your life. Number one, and this is important, tell the truth. If you want to be faithful, tell the truth. Just People know when it comes out of your mouth, that's what you mean. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Just say yes or no. You don't have to say, I swear to... No, just yes or no. And make sure when you say that, that your actions support what you have said. Just tell the truth. How many of you have kids? Let's see a show of hands. Don't we all know whether our kids or whether our kids are gifted artistically or not, every child is creative, right? Particularly when it comes to lying. I mean, we, we, we have creative geniuses, which by the way, they inherited. You know what I'm talking about? Where you can kind of like start to, you start to learn, okay, I get in trouble if I tell an out and out lie. But if I can kind of shade the truth a little bit, then I can look mom in the eye and go, I never said, I have a good friend who long, long time ago went through kind of a wild phase and she was in high school and, and she, she was dating this guy that her parents were not really fired up about because her parents were smart. And she, she was kind of dating this guy against her parents' wishes. It was kind of a bad deal. And she used to tell her little sister, okay, now I'm telling you that I'm going to Mary's house. So if mom and dad ask you, you just tell them, she said she was going to Mary's house. Now, the sister that she was telling that to was, was kind of the middle child people pleaser. So like, I, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. She goes, I just told you. So you're not lying. How many of you have ever played that little game where you kind of parse the words? Okay, now as many hands go up now. Everybody who did not just raise your hand, you lied. But we've all done that. We've all kind of gotten, you know, what we've all done that. Just tell the truth. Be a person 
of honesty, integrity. In the marketplace, what would it look like if you went on a one-person honesty campaign? If you just said, you know what, some of you are going, I'd be fired. You know what? You'll be just fine. You will be just fine. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Great is his faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies you'll see. He's never even brought you this far to leave you hanging. But don't rely on the excuse, well, I have to keep my job. You got the wrong job. Tell the truth. Be a person of honor, integrity. Tell the truth. Number two, take the lead. Take the lead. Faithfulness initiates. Faithfulness does not sit back on its haunches and wait for good things to come to it. Faithfulness takes the lead. Faithfulness goes out and is proactive. Faithfulness takes the initiative. Look at your neighbor and with passion and enthusiasm, tell him, get you some initiative. Now that's a, that's a biblical exhortation. Hebrews 10.24 is kind of a pillar verse around our church. You ought to memorize Hebrews 10.24. The Bible says, let us consider. Say consider. consider. How we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let's be really deliberate. Let's think about how to spur each other on toward love and good deeds. Let's take the lead. How many of you have ever been on the back of a horse before? Can I see a show of hands? Okay. Now this is a moment of honesty. You're in church. We've already said, tell the truth. How many of you have ever been scared on the back of a horse before? Thank you all for being honest. Every one of you who did not raise your hand. I'm just kidding. When you ride a horse, no matter how much that animal outweighs you by, you must take the lead. If you let the horse lead you, it's going to be a rough ride. It's going to be a rougher landing. How many of you have ever been bucked off a horse? Not fun, is it? It's kind of fun to tell people about though, isn't it? Well, I remember I was right. I got bucked off. Take the lead. Take the initiative. Faithfulness does what it takes to protect and propel the relationship for the long haul. You heard Ruth Bell Graham's answer to the question, have you ever considered divorce? Does that sound like a woman who just kind of hung back and let things happen? Don't you know there were some days where she just got up in Billy's kitchen? <laughs> Don't you know that? I mean, come on. In a beautiful, God-honoring, loving way, faithfulness takes the lead. Number three, stay the course. Stay the course. Faithfulness stays. 
Faithfulness stays. Hebrews 10.25. Now we're considering, we're taking the lead, but then we're going to stay the course. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching, the final day when Christ returns. When, because we know that that's coming. That will happen. But along the way, we're going to stay the course. I've shared this with y'all before that in our household, Julie and I kind of have our own lexicon. And, and what we say to each other is, I'm not going anywhere. You may not like me right now, but I'm not going anywhere. I may not like you right now, but I'm not going anywhere. So far. 22 years. And the grace of God. You hang in there in relationship long enough. And you will have issues. It's going to happen. Not only in marriage, but certainly including that. Friends over the long haul, family over the long haul, church over the long haul. It's going to happen. But what about the blessing of the long haul? Those who raised their hands when I said, have you been married 10 years? You kind of look at those who've been married for two weeks and you go, oh, that's so cute. Those of you who've been married for 30 years, you look at those who've been married for 10 years or are jeweling me for 22 and you're like, oh, just getting started. <laughs> 50 years. 50 years. You want to talk about a blessing? Just, just to have survived. You want, that, that's what we call staying power. We have a member of our church whose son was born prematurely. And a while back, I had the opportunity to visit with them, pray with them, particularly on one night when they weren't sure whether or not this little boy was going to make it. Now, I will tell you, get to the end of the story before I tell you the filler. This little dude's still alive and well and kicking. He's a fighter. He was born at 26 weeks. That's early. And the night that I was there with them in the hospital room, as he was down the hall in the NICU, I just kept telling them, thank you. Thank you for letting us be the church. Thank you for letting us go through this with you. I hate that you have to go through this. I'm not going to tell you that I understand. But thank you. Their life group, the way they rallied around them, other people in our church, other pastors on our staff, unbelievable. And to get to be there with them, to pray with them, to cry with them, to laugh with them, all within that brief visit, 
was a blessing. You stay faithful in relationship long enough, you get to experience those kind of blessings. You hop, skip, and jump all around, you don't get that blessing. You hydroplane through all your relationships and you miss the blessing of staying the course. Not giving up the habit of meeting together, but staying the course. It's a blessing. And then number four, you probably already kind of figured out. Follow the leader. Follow the leader. And leader is capitalized. Capital L. You want a model of faithfulness? You want, you want an example to follow? Look at Christ. Jesus Himself. Hebrews 10.23 says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for He who promised is faithful. I love that. Let us hold unswervingly. You know, that makes me think about 10 and 2 o'clock. Unswervingly. I'm not going to swerve. I'm going to hold on. Because he who promised is faithful. Great is his faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. That faithfulness is always relational. The faithfulness of God will not be found in a religion. Religion doesn't do it. Rules and regulation do not do it. It is only in relationship that you find faithfulness. Now, because of the relationship, then the rules, the regulations... The religion even can begin to make sense and actually be a help to the relationship. But apart from the relationship, none of this will ever work. It becomes a burden. It becomes rote. But with relationship, then all of a sudden, that hymn starts to matter. When you sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and you sing it to God, and you start thinking about all of the things that He has done for you personally, by name, in your life. Then it's much more than just a routine hymn that we sang in church growing up. It's your anthem. Great is your faithfulness. If you're here today and you have never stepped into that faithfulness, that relationship, in just a moment, as a church family, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. And it's very, very simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. It just requires a response to God's grace initiative. To what He did for you in Christ on the cross and the resurrection. And 
beginning to walk in relationship with him, taking that step of faith to personally identify with him in order to daily take up your cross and follow him. I want to ask you all if you will bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, if you have taken that step personally, then I want to invite you just to be praying with everything that you've got. But if you're here today and you've never taken that step, then I invite you to do that. To just pray a prayer of beginning. As I said, it's not easy, but it is simple. Because it just requires everything. Completely surrendered to God. Your life. If that's where you are and God's leading you to do that, then just pray right where you're sitting. In your own words, just talk to God silently. Something like this. Just say, God, I need you. And I give you my life. I choose to believe, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again for me. I confess my sin and I claim your forgiveness once and for all. And I pray this prayer in your name. If you will just remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for another moment. But if you're here today and that was your prayer and you meant it for the first time. With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, I want to just ask you if you would quietly, but very, very definitively raise your hand. Just raise your hand and hold it up high over your head for a moment. Because this is the most important moment of your life. And it's a moment that needs to be marked. As you Mark this moment. It's important to us as a church family that we do whatever we can to help. Answer questions. Begin the process of living out this relationship. And so we celebrate that with you. We want to welcome you into the family. So we kind of got a tradition around here. We like to put our hands together and tell you welcome home.